Welcome everybody to the Nerdpool Podcast with the fat fool who loves Deadpool, your host, Jamie. The water's fine. Come on in. What's up everybody and welcome to another episode of the Nerdpool Podcast. As always, I am your host of Fatful That Loves Deadpool. Yes, it's me, it's me, it's J-M-I-E, your 177,964th favorite podcast host. But as always, you're sharper down this road of nerdiness. And today's episode, we are talking Star Wars. More specifically, Han or Han depending on who you say, Solo. That's right, the new Solo movie has hit theaters. And it's underperforming. Let's just be honest. It's not doing the movie, the the numbers that most Star Wars movies do. Uh, It's in a four-day weekend that is Memorial Day weekend. Happy Memorial Day to everybody. Give a big shout-out to all the the armed forces present and past that have given their lives, given their time for us to sit out, drink, grill out, and just have the day off. Thank you all for your service. My hat's off to you. On a four-day weekend, it has pulled in so far $83 million, which, you know, it's crazy that we hear $83 million and we immediately go to, oh, this movie's a flop. It's terrible. You know, I, I, it's not making any money. $83 million is not making money in, in the movie business nowadays. This is this is getting ridiculous. However, I will tell you, going into this movie, I did not expect a lot. I was one of the people that said this movie was going to suck. Um, the actor playing Han Solo, I, I didn't have a lot of faith in him playing Han Solo. Just from the trailers, which they only give you a little snippet of it. They didn't force this movie down your throat with trailers. And there was actually talk, apparently rumored talk within Disney, that this movie they were expecting it to flop. And that's never a good sign when the, the parent company is basically saying that we expect this movie to flop. Um, but again, the the guy playing Solo, didn't he didn't jump out at me. Uh, the, I'll be honest, the only reason I went to see this movie is because of Lando Calrissian, played by Donald Glover. That's the only reason I wanted to really go see this movie. And when I went in, you know, again, not expecting much. I was expecting this movie to kind of suck. And shockingly, the movie turned out really well. Like, I enjoyed the movie. It, it, it's a fun, it's an action-packed Star Wars-type movie. It's not like most Star Wars movies, but yet it's identical to most Star Wars movies. That makes no sense. I understand exactly what you're thinking. I said that, and you're like, what the hell are you talking about? It can't be completely different, but yet be the same. And this one does kind of do, you get the old feel. I mean, Chewbacca is Chewbacca. You get to see some other Wookiees. You get to see Donald Glover play a great Lando Calrissian, a young Lando, a brash, kind of arrogant, not not really knowing where he stands, Lando Calrissian, which was Lando. We get to see, spoiler alert, how the Millennium Falcon goes gets to be with Han Solo and Chewie. Again, we kind of all knew that this was going to happen. We kind of all figured... It was going to be a scene. We all know how he did. He won it in a card game from Lando. So they did, they play that out. But it leads up to it. We get to see the first meeting of Han and Chewie. We get to see Han's love affair with Emily Clark's character on the planet where they were basically taken to be slaves and runners for a gangster. And we get to see Han Solo be a... 
Imperial Guard as he tries to join the the Navy and the Air Force and be a pilot, and it kind of go to shit. Um, the, the way the acting did was really good in this movie. I mean, it was really good. The character playing Han Solo, he did a good job. But it, again, it's one of them things where Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford. There's not another Harrison Ford. And to go in trying to portray a character as iconic as Han Solo with a actor as iconic as Harrison Ford, it was a daunting task. And he didn't do a bad job. The guy didn't do a bad job. We're just going to call him Alden because his name's Alden um, Heinrich, I believe is how it's pronounced. Please forgive me because I know that that is not going to exactly come off well because I, I, I don't know if that... Uh, so, Alden, so we're just going to call you Han right now, because saying your name is a pain in the ass. Um, you had Emily Clark again. Woody Harrelson did an amazing job. Woody Harrelson playing the Beck Beckett, which is the guy who basically gets Han Solo into the trade of being a scavenger, a runner, you know, all of this. We meet his little family. Emily Clark did an amazing job playing her thing as Kira, the uh, love interest of Han Solo. She's always amazing, always stunning, always beautiful. And, you know, uh, Paul Bettany playing the villain, basically playing the villain. I mean, he's got a short role in it, but he's got an, an integral role to the movie. It's He did a great job. The acting was done. Again, the score, as always, as you know, when you do these Star Wars movies, the scores, the music is always just beautiful, just orchestra playing, and it is, it's amazing to see. Ron Howard directing this did a good job. I was kind of, Ron Howard's not known for doing these kind of movies. He's more of a, a artsy type or, you know, I mean, he, doing Angels and Demons and stuff like that. He's not really known for this, but he did a good job directing a Star Wars movie. And again, making it feel like a Star Wars movie, but not making it feel like a Star Wars movie. Now, I'm fixing to get into some spoilers, and but first I'm going to get into some complaints about the movie. It seems like with the new Star Wars movies, to me, one of the things that, that irks me and kind of grinds my gears is the fact that we're getting a lot of new technology. You know, we, we, and I mean figuratively and literally. With the advent of CGI and the, the computer graphics that we're doing now and motion capture and all this, we're able to they're able to create new weapons and new vehicles and new places and lives and everything through only Star Wars universes. And while it's cool to get to see the different creatures and characters when they do a mixture of CGI and a mixture of practical effects, to me, a Star Wars movie needs practical effects. You need practical effects aliens. I can understand if you happen to make the world, but, you know, when you're making aliens, to me, the practical effect way just always looks better because CGI, when you're creating something from nothing, when you are creating a complete race that has never been seen, a, a species that has never been seen, sometimes the CGI can look kind of cartoonish because there's really nothing to go on. And you're, you're creating something out of your own mind, out of your own brain, out of your own imagination and it just doesn't work that well with me it, it really it, it really doesn't now i 
not not really having this problem in this movie because I think they did an amazing job with again the practical effects and mixing it with the CGI. Some of the CGI again looks a little cartoonish at times, but I mean, what are you going to do? You're computer generating a graphic. You know, you you are literally making something from nothing. Now, an- another issue when it comes to that is the weapons, the vehicles, just the the universe. There's a lot of technology in the new ones, whether it's you know stun weapons, whether it's it's ba- um, what's the word I'm looking for, whether it's bayonets or that you know or or laser driven, kind of like a lightsaber, whether it is a what is the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say a stick, but that's the best thing I can come up with right now. A stick that is able to block lightsabers and not be sliced through. Just It's a train that moves on an axis, moving at, you know, 45 degree angles. You, you And all these ships. Now, I understand different parts of the galaxy might have different parts of the ship, but it seems like we, as these movies have been where they're in the past, Rogue One and this one, it seems like they're having certain technologies in these movies that was not in the original Star Wars. And I know the original Star Wars came out in the 70s and the 80s, and they didn't have the effects, the time, the money, or the ability to create some of this stuff. However... When you're going back in the past, to me, when you create new weapons or you create new vehicles that are look like they're more high-tech than what was in the previous ones, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, I know you want to show off stuff that's cool. You want to show off what you can do. I'm, I'm totally down with that. And this is just small complaints. You know, this is, this is just small little complaints on my part. But how are you going to tell me that this that was happening when Han Solo was a young guy, a young man... They had this technology, but later on in A New Hope and Return of the Jedi and um, Empire, they didn't have this technology that it was, it seemed more basic, more back then, you know. It just, to me, didn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, take the movie, and yes, you can show us some, you can show us some new stuff and how it looked, but don't make stuff seem like it's newer back in the old days than it is now, unless it was, unless you can explain why that wasn't in the original trilogies. Does that make sense to you people? Is it coming across to what I'm trying to say here? When you have in this, Paul Bettany's character is having, he has a a dagger-like thing that looks suspiciously to me like the double-bladed knife that Thanos gave Gamora in the Avengers uh, Infinity War. It's not the same thing, but it's it's close. It's a double-bladed dagger that you hold, and it has... A laser function that comes across it, you know, like a lightsaber. It's reminiscent of the the fight scene in The Last Jedi with Rey and Kylo Ren when they're in Snoke's chambers. The what the Snoke's um, Imperial Guards were having, the the weapons they had. How they they weren't lightsabers per se, but they were they had lightsabers around the edges, basically, and that's what this is. Which again. It just seems like that they didn't have this in the later movie, in the original trilogy, so why did they have it then, and then all of a sudden they forgot about it, and just didn't have it. Now granted, again, maybe, like I said before, maybe different places of the galaxy has different parts, different times, different technologies, different stuff. That's fine if that's how you want to explain it off, but to me that seemed like that needed to be explained a little bit. Now, we're fixing to get, you know, that's just the, the smallest things, but I'm fixing to get into some spoilers. 
Um, I'm not going to spoil the whole movie, but there are spoilers coming up of cameos and stuff like that. So, spoilers in three, two, one. Now, there the biggest issue I have with this movie is the fact that this movie takes place as a prequel. It happens in the past. So, you know, during all these scenes... It's, it's at one point it seems like it's rushed. There's a character that's in Woody Harrelson's little group that when Han and Chewie first join, that dies, and they kind of try to make it an impactful moment. And and when they these people die, you haven't got to know them enough to really care. But the biggest issue I have is when you you see Lando in trouble, or you see Chewbacca or Han put in any kind of danger. Now, whenever they're in danger, and mainly this comes from when they're, you've seen it in the trailer, so it's not really a spoiler, when they're driving, they're on the train, and Chewbacca's outside, and Han, and there's a rock coming, and he's got to get Chewbacca on the thing. You know nothing's going to happen, because they're alive later on. Okay, so if, if, if they're alive later on, then there's really no, no, oh my god, they're going to die moment. You know, you can't take all the suspense parts as suspenseful, because you know that they survive. You know the outcome. So it's not like this is going to be a big, big letdown. You know, this isn't how it's going to be a, you know, it's not like you're in suspense of will they live? Will they be able to make it? You know they're going to survive. You know that they're going to make their mission because that's how it goes. That They're there later on. They can't die here and be there later on. We get to see how Chewbacca and Han Solo met. And is Han Solo being on the infantry after he was kicked out of the naval fleet for not following orders. He meets up with Woody Harrelson who has stolen and is portraying a captain in the Imperial Army. And he calls him out. He sees it that there are space blasters holes in his vest. And he says either you heal quickly or you've stolen that off a dead guy. Basically saying, I know you're not Imperial Guard. I know that you're smugglers and I want in. I want out of this. Take me with you. He's going to blackmail them into saying that he's going to tell on them. Basically, the guy who is portray who Woody Harrelson is wearing a captain's guard calls over lieutenants, says Mr. Solo is a deserter. And they take Solo and they throw him into a pit. And you hear him say, after he's chained and thrown in this pit... You hear him say, I haven't fed him in three days. This ought to be good. So they're going to feed him to a monster. And when you you know what's coming next. I called it. Pretty much everybody that was in the theater with me called it. Everybody knew it was going to be Chewbacca. So you get to see Chewbacca and Han's first interaction. With Chewbacca basically being hungry. Beating the hell out of Han Solo. And Han telling him that we... You know, that I can get us out of here. Now, also, we find out, we've always seen that Han Solo understands Chewbacca. And it's never really explained why he understands Chewbacca. In this, they do a, a kind of a goofy scene when he's getting the crap beat out of him where he starts making Wookiee noises. You know, arr, arr, excuse me, I'm doing terrible noises, but that's basically what he does. And it's saying that he speaks a little Wookiee. So we know now that he speaks Wookiee, and Wookiee is actually a language you can learn. So we get that, and because of it, they go together. It takes a minute for them to be 
compatible. You know, Chewie is trying to get back to Kashyyyk and save his planet and save his people who have been enslaved. Han is trying to get them to the smugglers to go get enough money to get his own ship to go back and get Kira from the planet where they came from. We find out Kira is actually somewhat engaged to Paul Bettany's character, who I cannot think of at the moment. I apologize. We get to see that, not engaged, but branded, and basically it's his lieutenant, his main person, and the guy's basically in love with her. Well, with that being said, he sends her on a mission with Han, Chewie, and Woody Harrelson's character as they go to replenish and recoup some fuel that this this rocket fuel that was lost in the opening that one of the opening scenes they have to replenish it they go to Kessel that's where the uh, fuel is mined and so we're going to learn that he does the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs now they is going there because they owe an order to the Red Dawn whatever and so basically we're getting paul bettany is the under guy that's speaking for somebody else we go through the whole thing they go through the entire finding lando getting the millennium falcon and going on this mission with lando calrissian and his feminist social justice warrior robot which the character is funny in the aspect it is because the robot thinks that lando's in love with her and we find out that you can actually work if you do it with a robot and a excuse me and a human. And but the whole time she's wanting justice for robots and no slavery and it's fine. It's fine. I get it. It's funny. But it's like wow, they're pushing the social justice warrior, but they're doing it in a robot form. So it's kind of satire, kind of real life. It's okay. You know, it's funny. It takes it adds a little humor to it. It adds some real worldness to it. Then when they get it, they say nobody has made this the Kessel Run in less than 20 parsecs. Come to find out, he does it in 12. Well, he said if you round down, it's 12. But they go back, and they find out that this marauder group that has been trying to steal the fuel from day one comes up, and they land on the planet where they are refining the fuel to take it to Paul Bettany's character. And they get it that this... The people are not marauders. We get a cameo from an original Star Wars veteran that a lot of people might not know was an, a Star Wars cast member, and that is Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis is one of the marauders. My hat's off to him. He is the original Peter Dinklage. He is the original little person um, actor that was everywhere and did everything. He was in Leprechaun, Star Wars. He was in Harry Potter. He's done. He was Willow. He's done a lot. This... So it was cool to see him and him actually get some screen time again in the Star Wars universe. But we find out that the Marauders are not the Marauders. They're, they're not there to steal the fuel for any money or anything. They're there because they are basically the beginning of what we would later know as the Rebel Alliance. And what would later, you know, fuel Luke and Leia and all, and all of this going forward. So we get the first instances of the Rebel Alliance in Star Wars, which was cool to see that it starts with a whole group of people and she gives you the backstory of the Empire coming in, mining whatever they can from a planet, enslaving and killing anybody who doesn't go with them and going forward. So we get that. We get Han and Chewie 
tricking Paul Bettany's character and after, again, spoiler alert, being tricked by Woody Harrelson's character, which you kind of see coming, kind of don't see coming. And we, it's all a rouge. They've doubles tricked both of them. So Woody Harrelson makes off with the fuel and Paul Bettany's character is there and Emily Clark and him have a battle scene. She kills Paul Bettany and then Han goes to retrieve the fuel from Woody Harrelson's character and then we get Emily Clark calling the the person in charge um, Red Dawn or that's what I'm calling it. I know I'm getting the name wrong but I'm just calling it Red Dawn because for some reason my mind keeps going to Red Dawn. But when we get there, it comes up and we get a cameo from a returning Star Wars from the original, or excuse me, from the prequels that I was so happy to see. The return of Darth Maul. Darth Maul is now a smuggler grabbing, trying to get this fuel. I don't know if he's still part of the Empire. It hasn't really been said but he stands up and you see the metal legs that he has. He still has his lightsaber. He has a speaking scene. It is amazing. He looks great. Darth Maul was one of the best looking characters, in my opinion, in Star Wars. And he still is. It was good. It was haunting. And he says to Emily Clark that you or me are going to be working closely. So if we get a sequel to this, we are going to see Darth Maul again. And I cannot be more excited for it. As Han goes out to confront Woody Harrelson. He ends up shooting and killing Woody Harrelson when Woody Harrelson was going to kill him. He takes the fuel, gives it to the Rebellion. They offer him to join. He says, no, you know, you don't want me. I'm not the good guy. They ride off, and he goes off with Chewie to Tatooine to a gangster to do a big run, which we would later find out, I guess, would be Jabba the Hutt is who they're referring to. So they're kind of connecting it in. And we see again at the very last scene him winning the Millennium Falcon from Lando. In an earlier scene, they, he was trying to win it. Lando cheated to win. He was going to cheat here. Han kind of played it on him and tricked him. And he ends up winning the Millennium Falcon. This movie, again, is so much fun. And it's one of the better Star Wars movies. It's better than the prequels. I'm not, you know, again, I went into this thinking this movie was going to be terrible. I was like, it's going to suck. And it ended up being really fun, really action-packed. The scenes, like I said, with the action and the suspense, you can't really, there's no peril there that you're worried about him going to die. But it's still a good movie. I'd suggest you go see it. If you're a fan of Star Wars, you'll enjoy this movie. Don't let the sour taste of The Last Jedi, if you didn't like The Last Jedi, don't let that sour you from going to see Solo. You will enjoy Solo. This not The Last Jedi. Even though I personally liked The Last Jedi, it was not the best Star Wars movie. There were things I wish they could have changed. But it wasn't a terrible movie. And don't let... if you Even if you think that is the worst Star Wars movie and you're saying you can't support Star Wars anymore because of that, don't let that ruin this. Because Solo is a fun summer movie. And if you're a fan of Star Wars, you will enjoy Solo, A Star Wars Tale. That's all I can really say. Thank you all for your support. Follow me on Twitter at NerdPoolPod. Follow me on Instagram at NerdPoolPodcast. Follow me on Twitch at NerdPoolGaming. Thank you for the love again. Thank you for the support. Also, I want to say this right now. Um, we are coming up. May 30th will be the is National MS Day. Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Day. Um, if you can, 
please wear orange. I will be wearing orange on May 30th for this event. Just wear a little bit of orange in unison with the multiple sclerosis to let everybody know that you're a, a warrior coming up. Soon I will be having some merchandise coming that will go to supporting uh, multiple sclerosis society, the multiple sclerosis society. And I want to thank everybody again that has donated or supported this for me. Well, it's a big, big part of my life, and I and I thank you all for it. So that's Nerdpool for this week. Until next time, see ya.